A slap in the face and a divided house next on The Midweek Move. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the Midweek Move. I am Scott, and we are super pumped today. Uh, I get to hang out for just a little bit with, uh, man, one of my really, really good friends and a great brother, man. Awesome uh, serve team uh, leader and member here at the Healing Place. Carlos Renfro is with us today. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great. It is always a pleasure to be here at the Midweek Move. I love these things so much. Yeah. All right. You're not going to believe it when I say this. Acts chapter 23. You heard it, folks. Acts 23. Yes, we have been taking this journey through the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, and we have seen a little bit of everything. We've seen um, turmoil. We've seen uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit. We've seen mass baptisms. We've seen salvations, miracles, signs, wonders. We've seen uh, division. We've seen houses divided. We've seen governments divided. We've seen churches divided. We've We've seen um, uh, we've seen uh, the miraculous in one point, and then being thrown in jail the next point. We've seen the church praying for a release from prison. The release from prison happens, and the church that was praying yep. doesn't believe that it happened. Yep. We've seen all manner of things, and there has been a constant oh. since Acts chapter nine. There's been a person that's been a constant since Acts chapter nine, who we used to know as Saul, but yep. now we know as Paul. Yep. And Paul has been on this journey. Uh, he's not just been on a journey in Jerusalem. God's called him beyond the Jew. God's called him to to, to reach beyond that. And now we're seeing that uh, not only his birthright, but his citizenship yep. now is called into question of, man, this guy is Jewish, but he also has a citizenship in Rome. Right. Yep. And we've seen that he's just come out of this place where in Jerusalem a mob has happened. I mean, it is chaos. Yes. And it's like, okay, we've got to get this guy out of here. And then we see the Sanhedrin, like those big religious figures. Yes. Of all things, they're not in one mind and one accord about this guy. Yeah. They are divided. Yes, they are. They don't know what to do. And so that leads us into Acts 23, verse 1. It says, Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth, hence the slap in the mouth. Then Paul said to them, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Now this sounds harsh, but we're about to see Paul's heart and his motive in this statement. Yeah. So we can look at this and go, oh, man, he's coming back at him hard. Right. Like, wow, he about that escalated quickly. Yeah, he's going to you know? chop it up. It right? almost feels like a retaliation. Right, but we're about to see that that's not quite the case. That's why context is so important. Keep reading. Listen, if I can encourage you in anything, if you're watching this, if you're listening to this, if I can encourage you in anything, keep reading. <laughs> yes, yes. Keep reading. Don't stop. Keep reading because the context of the situation will let allow you will allow the verse to breathe a little yes. bit to cool. where you don't presuppose it's something it's not. All the time, the one of the rules is that that scripture clarifies scripture, and if you're questionable about something, keep reading. And a lot of times, those things will become clear. Those, you no, know, the Holy Spirit will enlighten stuff through the rest of the scripture. Yeah, and we even said this recently, not just with the Word of God, but even people's lives. Yes. 
let's not judge somebody on one verse of maybe their worst day, but let's look at the context of their lives and it will give us a greater understanding of that person and even their behavior. Yes. So good. So Paul says to them, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to me to judge me according to the law, and you do and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? And those who stood by said, Do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, Here's the motive. I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written. Now yes. he's quoting law here. Mm-hmm. You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Why is that so important with what we just said, Carlos? Well, that's really, really important. And it, one, it shows a, a, a real strong sense of humility from Paul. Indeed. And it also shows his ability to honor the law because it says um, it says that passage about, about, about um, reviling an elder. It says it in the book of Exodus chapter 22, and this is something that they held to very closely. And when he spoke— not knowing that Ananias was a high priest, he in 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 not just in culture and not just in in Jewish culture, but also according to the according to the Jewish law, according to the word that they actually believed in, yep. he spoke in a way that was reviling or a way that was that was defaming or or disrespectful to the high priest, to the ruler, to the elder of your people. Yep. And he was out of, he was out of pocket for that. And with that, he was even he was even humble to even acknowledge that and acknowledge that in front of them and showing that he knew exactly what the law said because these were these were men of devout Jewish faith, men that followed the law very closely. Yep. So him acknowledging that creates a different atmosphere now in this in this if you could call it a trial, a different atmosphere in this situation now. Yeah, it's a trial, sort of. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's almost a predetermined outcome. Yeah, it is. You, you start getting you start getting kind of flashbacks of what the Sanhedrin did with Jesus during his crucifixion. Yeah, there's no doubt. Paul's almost walking in the step footsteps of Jesus right yeah, here. Yeah, absolutely. And even in his response, it was sometimes that Jesus would give a response that might seem a little harsh, mm-hmm. but then Jesus would come back and show the motivation of his heart. Right, and I thought immediately, um, even back to chapter 22, as we were reading here, when, when, when Paul was given the vision on, well, Saul and the road of Damascus there, and he, when Jesus spoke to him, he said, I'm going to show him how many things he's going to suffer and how he called him to the Gentile. Now we're really starting to see the fulfillment of a lot of that stuff. Yep. Him being called into the Gentiles, and now this whole thing has come a full circle. Now that part where Jesus showed him how much he was going to suffer is starting to come into play. Yeah, you know, that's a great point for us individually is that, is that you know, sometimes it's, it's almost like, okay, um, God gives you a word, and you're like, Okay, man, that was really, really good. But you don't see the expanse of that word. Yeah. Then that word starts coming to pass, and it doesn't quite feel the way it did in that moment. Right. So God gives Saul this word, and it sounds like an amazing word, but now he's having to live it out through true persecution. Yes. It's like, okay— Saul, here's what's going to happen. It's like, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm a Pharisee. I've I've dealt with contention. I've dealt with, you know, all those things before. But now having to live it. And that's the one thing I want to encourage you in. God may give you a word, and it may feel all nice. But when God starts working that word in your life, it may take on an appearance that it's not God at all when it really is God. Right. And we have to understand God's purpose toward putting things in our life for our good, for the good of others, for his glory. You know, and when those things begin to unfold themselves, it might have the Joseph effect. It may not feel like, wow, God, is this really what you were telling me when I was all excited about your word in my life? But we have to be able to trust God that this is for 
the the bigger picture that God sees that we don't. That's right. Yeah, I'm sure when Joseph had the dream, he wasn't thinking about the pit. No, he was not. And maybe not even the persecution at the palace or the prison. Right. It's like, you know, but God had to take him through that process. And even here, God has uniquely positioned Paul as a Jew, but Roman citizenship, to break down some barriers for the gospel. Yes. Yes, he's being persecuted politically, but in the midst of this, these walls are coming down even religiously. All Pharisees and Sadducees are not receiving the gospel, but many did. Yes. And then begin to call upon the name of the Lord, confess him as Jesus is Lord. Right. And begin to follow, and then they end up being in the midst of the disciples and the apostles. Yeah, and, and this persecution was integral to that. These things, these these conflicts, these confrontations had to happen for those walls, like you said, to be broken down. Yep, no doubt. Verse 6, but when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council. Now, he sees that... Yes, the council is there, and yes, they're all seemingly together, but he also knows that the Pharisees and Sadducees have a little glitch in their belief system. Yeah, they do. There is some division amongst the Pharisees and Sadducees. He says, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee. Immediately by saying that, he divides the house. He put himself on one side of the house by saying that immediately. That's right. The son of a Pharisee. So now he's not just saying, I'm a Pharisee, but now he's saying it's generational, which takes on a whole other meaning of blessing and honor in Jewish culture. And it doesn't make him a Johnny Cubman lately. This means I grew up in this thing. That's right. So I I know what I'm talking about here. Uh, Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. The moment he says the resurrection of dead, he's bringing even more division from from the Sadducees. And when he had said this, a dissension arose uh, uh, between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose in protest, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Now, when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, (laughs) we're kind of thinking, why would the commander fear Paul being pulled by, uh, you know, to pieces by them? Because he's persecuting him himself, but he understands that as a Roman citizen, if this happens to Paul, they're going to face some retribution, even politically. Absolutely. And this is why chapter 22, what happened there was so important. Him declaring both his Jewish citizenship and his Roman citizenship. Now the the commander here is in a a rock and a hard place. He wants the Jews, it's the same same thing they had to deal with with the trial of Jesus. Same thing. He wants the Jews to be able to handle their business. He wants... He wants them to be able to take care of the matters to affairs through their law. That was the agreement there between the Jews and, and the Romans, you know, kind of with, with Herod and his his leadership over the region. Right. And he wants them to be able to do that, but he knows he has to answer to Rome. Yep. So if if I sit here and let this Jewish council, you know, shred this Roman citizen, it's going to come back on me and there's going to be more trouble. Yep. It's not politically expedient for him. It's not politically expedient for him. It's, so it says— He commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. So literally a foe, an enemy of Paul, is removing him from being destroyed and giving him protection. Yes. Like that is literally almost like Joseph in the pit 
Yes. You know, we talked about yes, it. Yes, we did. In the prison, like God is watching over him, although it seems like he's being persecuted, even though it seems like that God is not with him, God is literally allowing certain things to happen. Yeah. And God is even using ungodly influences yeah. to protect a child of God. Yeah. Like yeah. how how does that how does that fit into our context? Like we're not just talking about Paul. What about us? Like, are there things going on? Do you believe, Carlos? Like every day, where God is making a way for us, where maybe we don't even see that it's a way. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's one of those things where you're in you're in relationship with God. You're doing what you're trying to, everything you can try to do to to follow and to obey God. This is what Paul is doing. He knows what God has called him to do. He know what he heard. He know you hear him repeat this testimony over and over again. Um, go back to chapter 22, where we were just in, and he repeats this testimony in his firm in his mind. But it's part of that, of walking that path, is is being able to trust that God is, God is with us and that the things that are happening aren't somehow outside of God's control. Yep. Um, even when he's saying what he's saying, even when he mentions the resurrection, he knows what that's what's, what that's going to do to the Pharisees. I I harken back to to chapter ten of the book of Matthew when when Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was talking about them being delivered up to to leaders and to judges and to councils. He's like, in those times, don't even think about what you're going to say because you know what, I got you. Yep. When those times come. I'm going to give to you what what needs to be said, and knowing that if we're following the Lord, if we're we're trusting God in our day to day circumstances, that that God has something even through ungodly people, even through circumstances that seem, seems like you know like the hand of the enemy is on it. God is ultimately still in control. Yep. He's ultimately the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one writing the story. Yep. So if we're submitted to him day by day, whether it's our workplace, whether it's you know, schools or whatever those surroundings are, and we're submitted to him, the hand of God is with us because he said he won't leave us or forsake us. Yep. The hand of God is with us so we can be confident that even things that are difficult, God will use it toward our good and toward his glory. Yeah, so good. All right, verse 11, but the following night, the Lord stood by him. There it is. The Lord's with him. Stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. So he's actually giving him this amazing word. You're not going to die here. Yeah. And know what also struck me about this word is it's an amazing word. And he's showing him, hey, you're not going to die here. And beyond this place, I have something for you. That's right. But this is quite a contrast between what we've seen already in the book of Acts. We've seen the angels show up for Peter and get him out of prison. Yep. We saw Paul and Silas being being locked up in the jail and the earth shaking, doors open, and they were able to get out of it. This time, the Lord comes to Paul, but it doesn't take him out of the circumstance. Yep. He says, I'm going to use you in the circumstance. Yep. This this has a bigger picture. Hang hang tight. I'm, I'm not opening the doors this time, but that's okay. Yeah, I'm not changing your situation. I'm changing you yes. in the situation. And I'm going to try to change other people through you in that's the situation. Right. That's right. So verse 12, and when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had Killed Paul. Wow, fasting to kill someone. That's right. That's a, diff- that's a different. <laughs> that's a different deal. That's quite a no. Verse thirteen. Now there were more than forty who had formed this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and elders and said, "We have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul." Now you, therefore, together with the council, suggested the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow, as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him, but we are ready to kill him before he comes near. So when Paul's sister's son, 
Paul's sister's son, his nephew, his nephew, heard of their ambush. He went and entered the barracks and told Paul. So even God's inserted a family member in here right. to help out in the midst of the situation. Then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, take this young man to the commander for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. And then the commander took him by the hand, went aside and asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them. Like this is a nephew. Yeah. With a commander. Yeah. But do not yield to them, for more than 40 of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him, and now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. Right. This is such an interesting situation. Because so many times when we read the Bible, we're like, man, these accounts get so detailed. Like, yeah. why are they given so many details? Because... It is in the details that God is speaking. Yeah. I think we live in such a 140-character world. Yeah, we do. That we're just given this glossed over thing, and then people don't know what to do because we've given them the cliff notes of something that right. they should have read the book about. Right. And so he's making sure that the commander knows every single thing that they said and how they said it, what they said and how they said it. Right. So that he can then... Be like, okay, like we talked about, politically expedient. This is not going to be good for me. Right, yeah. He, he, he can he could have very easily underprepared for such an event. If Paul he, dies on my watch, yeah. it doesn't matter if it's a conspiracy or not. Yeah. If he dies on my watch, I'm in trouble from my superiors. Yeah, yeah. And I fear them more than I fear the council. Right, exactly. And, and Paul's nephew had to make sure that he knew in detail, this is serious. These guys are lying in wait. And even the fact that he mentioned that they had taken an oath and that they're fasting, so they even see this thing is spiritual. Yep. They're, they are fully invested in killing this guy on your watch. What are you going to do about it? Yep, yep. So verse 23, and he called for two centurions saying, prepare. Now this seems pretty excessive for one guy. Feels like overkill. <laughs> <laughs> and he called for two centurions saying, prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen. Right. <laughs> to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night and provide mounts to set Paul on and bring him safely to Felix the governor. He wrote a letter in the following manner. Claudius Lysias, to the most excellent governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with the troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. He makes that clear. Yes, he was a Roman. He was a Roman. Made the moment early. he says that, that yeah. brings attention to the letter. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council. I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. And when it was told me that the Jews... Uh, lay in wait for the man, I sent immediately to you and also commanded his accuser to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. So he goes into this, and I think it's interesting that much later on, you know, the church kind of becomes what it is in Rome, and then all of a sudden you begin to have the beginnings of what we know as the ghettos, even moving all the way forward to Germany. Yes. But in that context, it became law, even handed down from the priests that Jews couldn't testify against Romans right. in a court of law. Yeah. 
I do think that's interesting yeah. that this is going on here, but then later on it goes to the nth degree. Yeah, it because it feels almost like even all the way back to the Jesus of Nazareth thing that they're not trusting the Jews and the Jewish leaders when it comes to legal matters. And even when he wrote his letter, even and even Pontius Pilate mentions this according to their law. Because it shows that the Romans really didn't see their laws legitimate or, right. or, or, or whatever. So they just, it is it his his letter there was really trying to paint the Sanhedrin and the and the and the Jews in a bad light. That hey sure. hey I'm I'm doing this. I'm taking 470 people and guarding this one guy because I'm trying to protect them from these nefarious Jews that's trying to kill a Roman citizen. Yeah, and the only reason why they gave the Jews any breathing room at all is again because it was politically expedient for yes. them, not because they recognized their laws. Not because they recognized them, even sometimes as human. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> because there was such a a culture of domination yes. in the Roman culture. Very much. Not just of Jews, but anyone yeah. who was to get in the way of the Romans. They were conquerors. Make no mistake. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. And it wasn't, you know, it was very, uh, it was it was very idle forward. Whoever the Caesar was at the moment, that's our God. That's yes. that's where our allegiance lies. Yes. And anything or anyone who gets in the way of that will be destroyed. Yes. Again, hence the overkill. Yes. Like we will destroy everybody. Yeah, I'm pulling 470 guys off of their posts to keep this one guy <laughs> safely to Felix. Yeah. So verse 31, then the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him uh, that night to Antipatris. The next day they left the horsemen to go on with him and return to the barracks. And when they came to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when the governor read it, he asked what province he was from. And when he understood that he was from uh, Cilicia, he said, I will hear you when your accusers also have come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. And so... Uh, you know, being in Israel, I've been to Caesarea, the Praetorium, all of that. You begin to see kind of this journey that Paul is on, where they're taking him, where they're keeping him. He's not at a beachfront resort. No, He's not, um, you know, he doesn't have Wi-Fi. He doesn't have TV. He doesn't right. have, you know, uh, seven course meals being brought to him. Right. It's, it's that they're protecting him. But at the same time, they have to treat him a certain way because he is still viewed as a prisoner, yes. although he's a Roman citizen. Yes. And so let's let's not get it messed up that they're treating him with kid gloves. Right. No, no. Jesus was serious when he said that he was going to suffer for his namesake. He is legitimately suffer, suffering. He's not at the, at the Waldorf Astoria. He's. He he's a he's a he's a political and a religious prisoner at this time, yep. depending on who you're asking. Yep. And so he's being treated as such. But the thing that I love about Paul is his message never changed. Whether, yes. whether it's political persecution or religious persecution, his message is always the same. He's always pointing them to Jesus. Yes. He's always pointing them to the gospel. He's always, always, always not just Christ and him crucified, but the resurrection. Right. And Which I, again for some was a dividing line. Yes. And I think that's so important for us to, you know, in and especially in narrative portions of, of the Bible like this, sometimes we can struggle with with taking spiritual outtakes or getting spiritual context from yep. it. I think it's very, very important that we understand that regardless of the circumstance, political, whether it's religious or spiritual, that the whole of Paul's message, his his whole thrust was to always point people back to Jesus and his encounter and his testimony yep. of what Jesus had done. It did it didn't matter what the circumstance was. It didn't matter it from the from the lowest to the highest. It didn't matter who he was testifying in front of. His message was always the same: to point people toward the Christ. 
Yep. He gives it to the Sanhedrin. He gives it to the council. He ends up giving it to Felix. He appeals to Caesar. The story is always the same. Yes. He never changes the story. Yeah. And that is so important for us. The crowd does not change our story. Exactly. We are, and we even misquote Paul, and he's like, I became all things to all people. And we take that out of context to mean, hey, I got to change. Right. Whatever, wherever culture I'm in, I, I have to change. He didn't change his message. No. His story did not change. Right. It was the same every single time. Right. And Paul wasn't saying you have to become this person or you have to become that um, that nationality or you have to become that or you have to become that. He was saying that God uniquely positioned him in whatever scenario he was in, but the message stays the right. same. There's a big difference between our approach and the core of what we're called to be and say and do and what our message is. It's and they will, they a lot of times people will use, well, you know, he quoted their own poets and he talked about their own statues even say to, to an unknown God. Yeah, but he later on goes Christ and him crucified and the resurrection of Jesus. Yes. Like, yes. even though he uses culture to steer people back to Jesus, it's always, the message is never watered down. Right, It's never. always Christ and him crucified yes. and the resurrection of Jesus right. Christ. And even Jesus did as much. He taught, he spoke to the people in parables and in things concerning agriculture. He, he just, he was talking to Jews. Yep. So he spoke those things that they knew and that they understood, but it was all pointed back toward one redemptive message and that was never changed and it was never compromised. Yeah, so today our takeaways, we're really looking at the takeaway that you know, whatever situation you're in, whatever, whatever, whether it's a struggle, whether it's good, whatever it is, God's not necessarily looking to remove you from that situation, but he's wanting to transform you and others in the midst of that situation. Yes. And secondly, that no matter what situation we're in, good day, bad day, bad situation, good situation, our message never changes. It's yes. Christ and him crucified and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes. And so, man, what a great chapter. Um, man, a great learning curve. Uh, what a great lesson from the life of Paul. And we'll get into a little bit more. He's even going to go further, yes, and further and yes. further and further and further and further. And he gets more adventurous the further he goes. Yeah, it almost <laughs> becomes, uh, yeah, it does. It absolutely becomes more adventurous. So, man, that was a deep dive, a good dive. Thanks, Carlos. Thank you for man, having it's me. It's always good to chop it up. And, uh, man, the Word of God is so rich, so deep. And today we're just kind of walking in this mindset of, man, when we are when we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we do have a responsibility to grow in Jesus. Yes. We got yes. to grow in Jesus every single day. It's not just about fill me, fill me, fill me. It's like, okay, Lord, fill me. And as I'm filled, I'm going to do what you've called me to do, my yes. responsibility, and that is grow in you. And one of the yeah. greatest word, uh, ways that we can grow is through the Word of God. Absolutely. Great stuff. All right, guys, until next time, uh, this is Scott and Carlos from the Midweek Move. We love you. May the Lord bless you.